Hi everyone and welcome to the Be You Mum podcast. I'm Annie, mum, wife, nutritional therapist, music lover and believer that animal print will never go out of fashion. I believe that we are at our most happiest and healthiest when all parts of ourselves are aligned and singing in harmony, the mind, body, heart and spirit. For me, like most, motherhood has been life-changing. It has opened up so many opportunities to learn more about myself and grow and become a better version of me and generally better human being. So this is what this podcast is all about. Conversations with awesome people who will inspire, inform and empower you to be more you at your brightest and best. Just like health and happiness, I believe there is no one-size-fits-all approach to motherhood. Learning to better understand, love and be yourself is one of the greatest gifts we can give our children. So I hope you will join me on this podcast journey of self-discovery, self-growth and self-love because when we connect with ourselves and step into our personal power, our mummy magic can truly shine. So please keep listening and remember, always be more you. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the Be You Mum podcast with me Annie Breen. Today I'm joined by Alex Manos. Alex is a functional medicine practitioner, nutritional therapist, personal trainer and transformational coach. I originally contacted Alex um, to ask him to come on the podcast to talk about functional testing, specifically in relation to gut health. But then I heard him talking about the more spiritual aspect of health on his own podcast and thought, I need some of that. (laughs) So in this episode, we really do cover so much. I really enjoyed our chat and could have definitely continued for longer, hence this one being a slightly longer episode. It's hard to break down into specific discussion areas as we really do cover a lot and go off on some pretty awesome tangents. What I will say is that our chat gives a beautiful insight into our approach to health and wellness from a functional medicine perspective, but also from a human perspective. It highlights the fact that we are all different We all have different needs to be met to make us feel more whole. So whether that's physical, emotional, spiritual or behavioral. And most importantly, how these aspects of health and wholeness are all interconnected and overlap. Alex shares some great resources. He really is a fountain of knowledge. I don't know how he reads so many books. He also shares his findings from some research he's done around wisdom, which he shares at the end. This really crosses over into a lot of what we discussed around spirituality. I was left feeling really inspired and fairly wise by the end. I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. So without further ado, let's get into episode six. So, hi Alex. Hello Annie, how are you? Yes, I'm really good. Um, thank you for joining me today. Um, no, thank you. Yeah, it's funny actually. In preparation, I haven't done much preparation, but I have been listening to a few podcasts and just reading a few bits here and there. And actually, I'm on this journey at the moment where I'm really trying to 
understand and find out what spirituality means to um, people and the clients I work with. And I think as we all are, we're on our own learning journey and growth and um, we know each other, but I listened to a podcast that you did recently on your podcast with um, the Holistic Savage and it just really resonated with me. It was awesome. And I wanted to bring you on to talk about um, what you do maybe you can start off by giving us a little bit of background about who you are Alex and what you do but also your approach to health and how the spiritual side comes more into that so I'll let you start off with you yeah so I guess if I start with the the current um, I'm a functional medicine practitioner uh, my background is in nutritional therapy and personal training. Um, and I'm coming to the end of a diploma in transformational life coaching. So I'm kind of at this point, I guess, where I'm looking to blend movement and exercise with the nutritional and the functional medicine side of things. And also the, the behavioral, the life coaching, the spiritual, emotional side of things. So trying to moving forwards almost create maybe my own my own kind of operating system of of how i look at health and behavior and, and growth ultimately um and i think that journey has really progressed over the last six months or so uh, certainly sort of the spiritual emotional side of it um so for anyone that does follow me already on social media they'll know that in a couple of weeks, I'm off to do a, a psychedelic uh, experience ultimately. So I'd say be taking a high dose of psilocybin the, or one of the active constituents in medical mushrooms or magic mushrooms. Um, and, and I came across that probably about six months ago. And I started looking at some of the research and just getting blown away by what was out there. And then I read Michael Pollan's book and he does a great job of discussing kind of the background and the history and the evolution of this area. So obviously all the research that got done in the 50s and 60s and then the sort of counterculture movement that really kind of led to it becoming illegal and then going underground. So some of the stories that I read and some of the research that is out there just it it really felt like it opened up a whole new world of of health and growth and self-development and that in some ways was very much a catalyst for that area of of how i perceive health and anna you made a really great point in one of our email conversations that when you look at the the functional medicine matrix which for people that might not be familiar with it is essentially a clinical tool we, we can use as practitioners that provides us a bit of framework and it's a way of making notes about our clients ultimately in a relatively systematic fashion and in the very middle of the matrix is the spirit and the emotional and the mental elements of our clients um, and yes it's in the middle but it's also a very small middle so to speak um, and there really wasn't that much training on it during the functional medicine training or during the nutritional therapy training during the personal training and it's really started to become the main area that i'm interested in um, 
And it's something that I have to be, I guess, or we all have to be mindful of, because if we are a functional medicine practitioner, I think obviously the, the intention is clients are going to come along, we're going to discuss their diet and their activity and their sleep, and we might do some functional testing. And I don't want to throw people off by obviously immediately going into sort of the spiritual side of things, because I think sometimes we don't even have a a strict definition of, of what we mean by that as well. And it's certainly something I still don't feel 100% confident or comfortable in, which is, you know, for me, what do I mean by spirituality? Because um, I don't know about you, Annie, but, you know, I often hear, and, I, and I've said the same thing, which is I'm kind of spiritual, but I'm not religious. Uh, and it's kind of, well, what does that actually mean anyway? <laughs> um, so that's, I guess, me in a nutshell and, and where I'm at. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, and I was actually just going to ask you what would, so maybe not a definition, but if I said, like if we're playing word association and I said spiritual spirituality, what sort of things come up for you personally, not what your clients think for you? Mm, yeah, so I, being, I guess, mainly or having been mainly in the functional medicine space i still have the habit of just going to pubmed and looking at research when i when i when i'm seeking an answer so i did that i wrote a blog recently on spirituality because i wanted to just brain dump what i could find and there are some definitions that i found they're all quite long and cumbersome but in a nutshell spirituality was around personal search for meaning and purpose in life so it is, a, again, this idea of what we all discuss with our clients and amongst ourselves, which is what is our purpose in life? What is our meaning of life? And spirituality, it seems, is at least partly related to that search. Um, there were some other components that I found. One of them was connectedness. So having a connection with ourselves, having a connection with others and having a connection with nature and the universe. Um, inner strength was another one. So having strength to um, stay aligned to our values and our goals and our beliefs. And the, I think the third one was just around belief and faith. So having some strongly held values and beliefs um, but obviously we're open to changing as our understanding grows, but nonetheless, knowing what our current set of values and our current set of life goals are. So I guess, you know, you could argue maybe that it's similar to the idea of self-actualization and, and the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this idea of we're seeking growth, we're seeking truth, we're seeking some clarity um, and again, for me at the moment where I am with kind of my reading and stuff is that's where psychedelics fit so nicely into it because they appear just to be able to act as a bit of a catalyst to that. So it's not that I don't do the meditation, you know, I started this week Tai Chi. So I'm trying to do the things that we know can facilitate some of those states of consciousness and that growth. But a description that I read in one of the books I've read recently was along the lines of what, that psychedelics are kind of almost a shortcut. They can just speed up that process while you also do the longer behavioral elements of meditation, yoga, tai chi, breath work, etc. Um, so if you are on the, the, the path of 
growth and exploration, then maybe psychedelics are a tool that we can use to just facilitate and catalyze that process, as it were. Yeah. Do you think they almost break down interference and inhibitions so they allow you to connect with that source or energy or whatever that might be? That, I think has definitely been discussed. So I'm going to say these things a little bit tentatively because obviously I'm, I'm not an expert here, but um, there's, a, there's a guy, and I forget his name, but the surname is Harris. He's the researcher, I believe, at King's College London, who's doing a lot of the research on psychedelics. And he talks about brain entropy, this idea that in certain conditions like depression, um, even bipolar, I think, there is rigidity in the brain from a, a functioning perspective. You know, the neurological pathways that are being used and things like this, it, there's a rigid use of the brain. And I believe I'm right in saying that one of the things psychedelics seem to do is they almost seem to encourage new communication between different compartments of the brain. So it's like the root system of the trees has branched out and you've got now a bigger, broader more interconnected network of a system that is now communicating more efficiently or in a different way. And that allows us to make shifts in our perception. And as a result, makes us have those eureka moments about a challenge, a trauma, a, a problem that we might be having, etc. So I do think they can help us overcome those fears or whatever it may be because there's it seems that there's just a different neurological state that we go into in response to them um, and as you know those states and those uh, brain waves etc seem to be quite similar to long-term meditators for example yeah that's really interesting like i interpret that in terms of energy that everything is energy and when we're in a state of stress or trauma our body is in survival mode and to me that's almost like shutting down but yes we we shut down in terms of physiological kind of processes but also the spirit i think it can really um stop the flow of spirit um for me becoming a mum that transition has been more spiritual than anything else um, and I would say, actually, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and especially building up to our conversation and things have just kind of come into my mind. Um, yeah, very recently that spirit for me is um, freedom. It's freedom. It's your essence. It's just your free flowing self. And when I think about that, I think about my childhood and inner child and my inner child was just Free. We had no inhibitions. We had, I had an amazing imagi imagination. I remember once my, my parents had a, a horse and they were breeding from it. And I was convinced that the foal was going to be born with a golden mane and tail. Like absolutely <laughs> convinced. White with golden mane and tail. And when it was born and it was brown, it's almost like crushed my kind of dreams. Like what? Well, no. the reality. But um this belief in flower fairies and the you know the magic and, and all these wonderful things that as we grow older life kind of teaches us that that's um that's not right or that's not the way it is and puts these kind of restrictions 
what you talk about in terms of psychedelics, I just think that it opens the gates, it takes down the barriers, it allows you just to free flow and, and be you and let that energy come through and be. Um, I was just thinking about that. And also when you were talking, you mentioned um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm, re I'm writing some training. What came up through my market research is a lot of mums suffer with overwhelm. And I think language is very, very powerful, isn't it? So I tend to flip things. So when we're talking about overwhelm, what does that mean? I put it into Google. It actually means power over, so control. So what's the opposite of control? To me, it's freedom. And it keeps coming back to this freedom and cultivating this kind of freedom mindset, the freedom to be, be you at your kind of happiest and healthiest. And at the bottom of my triangle was physio physiological health. So it's like your body. Because I think when the body's unwell or the body's inflamed or we've got imbalances in our gut, it's really hard um, for that sort of congruence to happen, for that energy to flow, for us to not be in that state of stress. Um, and then the next level up for me was the mind. I don't know what you feel about the mind, but I, I personally feel that it gets in the way, that um, we need to see the mind as the puppet, not the strings, and as the co-pilot, not the pilot. And I now, because I really do live in my head too much, and I, I'm terrible for overthinking, is to get back into my body and my heart and use the mind to learn, because the mind's good at that. Like We can read stuff, and we can listen to stuff, and we can take it in, and we can focus. And then the heart for me, the heart is your grounding. You have to keep coming back to what's in your heart, what's true, what's your passion and purpose. And once you've gone through those kind of layers, and I know I'm kind of compartmentalizing things when we are really talking about holistic, whole self, but I think it helps to break it down. And then at the top is your essence, your freedom, your spirit. Um, I don't know how you, what you think about that would be really good to hear your thoughts, but, but for me, my kind of definition or where I'm at at the moment, and this might change, is that spirit is your inner child versus your higher self. It's kind of the meeting of those two. Be interesting. <laughs> oh, gosh, where to start? I think that was that's really beautiful, Annie, and I think... Um, I think in regards to mind, what you said, I would wholeheartedly agree with. There's a book that I'm reading at the moment called um, The Tethered Soul. And the main point that the author is making at the moment is, is really this idea of separating ourselves from our inner mind, I guess, you know, the, the voice, basically. You know, we are not the voice. And actually, one of the things we can do to let's say raise our awareness and to grow ultimately is to understand that and to appreciate that we're not that voice and we can step back and observe that voice um, it's a little bit i guess like the chimp paradox this idea that you know we need to be able to take that step back and become the observer um, a key element of mindfulness ultimately so that was, I guess, one thought that came up, the idea that you had with the minds not being the strings, but the puppets, as it were. Um, and then what you mentioned around, I guess, the, the holistic approach and thinking about the minds, the body, the spirits, 
and whatever else you want to kind of throw in the pot. I've been thinking a little bit about this because I'm very mindful that at the moment I'm, I have my own bias, basically, which is more like, for want of a better description, the, the spiritual, I'm interested in the psychedelic side of things, etc. It's taking all of that wisdom and then understanding that in the client in front of you, where do we need to go? Because there will be some individuals whereby they very much need the physical element of, of health and medicine. You know, they need the, the dietary changes, they need the functional testing, they need the supplementation, and that will give them a really substantial improvement in their health. You'll have someone else who could have the same symptoms, you know, you could almost just duplicate that person but change their narrative, their story, etc. Um, and actually what they need is more the life coaching element. They need to be heard. They need, a, they need someone to share their story and to have that safe space for them just to say what they need to say. Because one thing that's come up over the last sort of month is... Often, I think clients, all of us, we don't have that in our life. We don't have a safe space where we can feel safe and articulate our fears, our concerns, our frustrations. Um, and I think that has huge therapeutic value in its own place. Um, and I've had so many consultations recently where we barely breach the topic of nutrition because it seems such a minuscule element of what's going on in this person's life that we'll just touch on it at another time. Um, so I think, you know, there's a great book called Time to Think by Nancy Klein, which is this idea of we don't have opportunities to speak knowing that we're not going to be on, uh, knowing that we're not going to be interrupted. You know, if we're at the pub with our guys whether we realize it or not, we're constantly interrupting one another because we have a, I think, almost a default instinct to bring it back to our story and our perceptions. So if I say to you, Annie, oh, I'm going to Spain next month, you go, oh, I've been to Spain, et cetera, et cetera. It was amazing. <laughs> um, we don't have an opportunity for like a, an hour or a half hour just to speak and to have someone listen. Uh, and I think sometimes that's what's needed. Other times it goes back to this idea of rigid thinking and we need to be challenged in our thought process because we're just stuck in our own narrative and we need a perspective of someone else to support us out of that rigidity. So one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of at the moment is my bias and how I'm looking at my life and uh, growth at the moment. And when I'm in clinic or speaking with someone, trying to understand what they need at this point in time? Is it more body? Is it more mind? Is it more spirit? Et cetera, et cetera. And it would be easy to say that we all need to, to start at the emotional, spiritual level. But if you have a physical or body imbalance, that often manifests at the level of the mind, the spirit, the emotions, our mental states. And actually, until you've got a little bit more resource or resources physically, energetically, it's almost impossible to be able to change our emotional, mental, spiritual landscape, I think. So it's, it really is very personal in regards to what does this person need at this point in time. Um, and I think that's the challenge as a, as a clinician, as a practitioner, to 
to dive into that and the patience that can be required because it might not come out in the first consultation. It might not come out in the first two consultations. I've certainly had clients I've worked with over a period of time and it might sometimes be the second or third month that we really hit the nail on the head and go, okay, you know, this is what's going on. This is where our attention needs to be. So this is another challenge, I think, which is kind of articulating this in a, in a way to a potential client in which we just don't know timeframes. You know, people often will ask you and they ask me and they ask all our colleagues, you know, how long do you think, you know, we might be working together or doing this? And you just, you don't know, you don't know how the body's going to respond to the, to a diet, to a supplement, to an, a, a mental exercise, to exercise itself. Um, and it's like when people ask around success rates, you know, Alex, how, uh, how successful are you with, with treating psoriasis? And I used to just desperately want to answer, oh, I don't know, about 80%. <laughs> um, but now I kind of answer, well, if we take that step back, I have maximum of, and this is very uh, rudimental, but I have a maximum of 50% influence over this because you are the one that's gonna go away and do the work, which really means I probably have more like 25% of an impact on your success rates in treating your psoriasis, because you're the one that day to day, hour to hour is gonna to have to be doing the things to improve that. And all I can do is support you, act as a bit of a guide, give you my experience and wisdom from my experience of nutritional therapy, functional medicine, whatever it may be, but, it's this idea that it's a partnership, so it's 50-50 at best, um, and your psoriasis is very different to everyone else's psoriasis that I've treated as well, and therefore we, we just don't know. Um, and it's, it's, I think, actually trying to get comfortable with the unknown and with the fact that we don't know how long it's going to take. Um, and I'm mentioning her a lot at the moment, but it's because her posts, I think, are just, are just so brilliant. And Victoria Fenton did a post recently around this idea of sometimes healing. And I think I'm, I got this right. And I think I remember it correctly. It's along the idea of sometimes healing is a relatively passive process. It's this idea that it's not always doing more. And I just so wholeheartedly agree with that. I know through my own journey that sometimes the more I'm trying to do, almost the more unhealthy I become. And it's when I just surrender and I just live in the moment a bit more, I stress a bit less about what I'm doing and just focusing a bit more on being, that actually more healing occurs, more clarity is able to pop up into our awareness, intuition improves and things like this. Um, and I thought it was a really important point because some of my clients that struggle the most, whether it's a kind of more of a life coaching client or a functional medicine client, it's when they're almost fighting it, they're trying so hard to be better or to improve something, that that's become its own obstacle to improving. Um, and it's just getting this balance between doing and being and active and passive, yin and yang, light and dark, eat and fast, etc. And I think it can be a real challenge in the modern world when really we're programmed to do, 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 do. Um, and I think especially when we're suffering with a health condition 
and the longer in which we have been suffering, the less trust we have in our body and in ourselves, and therefore it becomes even harder to trust in this idea of maybe I need to do a bit less. Um, so, as always, I have way more questions than answers. <laughs> but those are kind of thoughts that are just popping into my mind. Some of them I'm having with some of my clients. Um, because we need some sort of 30,000 foot view and understanding of how do you view the world? What is your narrative? What is your perspective? And then let's burrow down into some of the specifics when we feel we need to. Um, also understanding that there's more than one way to heal. It's not like there's one protocol or one program that we need to find for you to get better. Um, I still go back to these concepts around things like resilience and allostatic load, uh, vulnerability, and viewing it from that 30,000 foot view of if we even ignore the fact that you have a high viral load, you know, there are plenty of things we can do to help improve and reduce the viral load. But we still have to put that within the broader context of are we building up your resilience and are we doing the things that are required for that? And there was a paper, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, Annie, Annie okay. sorry, so feel free to rein me in. <laughs> Um, there was a paper called Acquired Resilience and they gave an analogy of a tree and the idea that if you put a tree in a space where it's exposed to the elements, the wind and the rain, it will develop strong, especially at points in the tree that are most exposed to a strong wind, etc. Grow a tree, so to speak, in a house or protected from the elements, then put it outside in nature and it's not going to last, it will blow over with a strong wind, etc. And they then went on to discuss, well, building resilience in a human requires fasting, exercise, uh, UV sort of radiation, sunlight exposure, um, and exposure to temperatures, both cold and hot. So we need the cold showers, we need the saunas um, to help build our resilience. And if we're doing what we can out of those things, and then if we think about other ways to build our resilience, which include everything we've been discussing really, and we could say relationships, so making sure that we don't, we're not lonely uh, is really important for our resilience because when we feel lonely, we are under a greater state of stress physiologically speaking. Uh, me, making sure that we're exploring spirituality, i.e. what is our meaning and purpose in life. Those are all building resilience. And then you start, and well, I start to wonder, well, if we really focus on these, for me, really deep, nitty gritty, in the mud stuff that is really what gets us going and out of bed, how many of us would just improve from some of these more uh, from some of these topics that we always read about in functional medicine, whether it's the SIBO, whether it's a high viral load, etc. Because um, I had a client a couple of weeks ago, he'd already been diagnosed with SIBO, he'd already cured himself, so to speak, of SIBO, he'd eradicated the overgrowth, had got symptom free, and he'd, he'd just relapsed. So he'd come to clinic uh, to understand what did he not do 
successfully or what did he miss from his program to maintain remission or stay in remission from SIBO. And our whole conversation was around really spirituality, emotional regulation, uh, and all that sort of area of health. Because one of the terms, one of the things he said, and I'll get this a little bit wrong, but it gives you an idea. He described himself as having a relentless need for achievement. So I discussed with him, what did I discuss with him? Um, I read it from Zach Bush in the Rich Roll podcast. This idea that if you identify yourself as an achiever, what do you need to have your sense of self-worth? You need achievements. And what happens if you're not achieving? You lose your self-worth. And then what happens? We lose resilience, etc. So he really resonated with this idea because uh, he also identified himself as a helper. So he was constantly helping other people. He had a very stressful job Monday to Friday, long hours, and he was writing a novel all day Saturday. And that was a stressful experience for him because he was trying to hit a deadline that he had imposed on himself. Um, so we actually discussed that, look, we can put together a similar SIBO type program, but the same thing will likely happen because some of the more fundamental day-to-day -day elements of your being are not being addressed, which is the high need for achievement and to support others. So we actually discussed how we can start to shift some of that. He also trained very intensely, um, which he found helpful for his health and his energy and his cognition, but again, is a high burden on a body that's already burdened. And that was the conversation. Um, the whole hour and 15 minutes or 20 minutes was really around that. Um, and we kind of concluded that he can go back to a similar program that he did last time because it worked, but we did it um, with looser guidelines. So I think he used a specific carb diet to the letter the first time because that's what he had read in his research. So we said, okay, you know, go back to essentially a low carb, low fermentable kind of diet. Do those um, what I'll call traditional functional medicine elements, but do them with a little bit of flexibility in there. Because those diets for me are great, but they're also partly just about symptom management in the short term. I still have this query around if we have endogenous protective mechanisms against SIBO, bile, hydrochloric acids, motility, etc. How aggressive do we need to be in killing the overgrowth compared to optimizing those endogenous defense mechanisms? Um, and I don't, I don't have an answer. And I think most people would say it's really important to go in with high dose antimicrobials. But I've definitely had some clients whereby even minor supplement programs have massively shifted things. So again, it's always personal, but we have a lot of questions there, I think, that we haven't yet really answered. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's me, Annie. That's where I'm, my brain's at. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many things that I want to say, but I'm just, I'm just thinking exactly what you said before about um, listening to people and, and allowing people. <laughs> I was... Um, before we came on this podcast, we were having a quick chat about the psychedelics and I was so keen to share my experience 
in a slightly less controlled environment, let's say. But, yeah. um, but I, I, I gave a little bit of I held back because it's your experience. And I think going back to, um, we do have to be careful about not inflicting our own experiences onto that of our clients. And I've been thinking about empathy recently. And, and empathy to me is it's kind of a superpower. It's something that I feel as a child I've always had. I kind of refer to myself as an empath. I'm very sensitive to energies. But I think it's something that I've developed out of trauma and stress and, and challenging situations. But to have empathy doesn't necessarily mean to talk. Going back to language again, saying, oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, I've had that. Yeah, I've done that. I, yeah. It's that almost nodding and that look where someone is telling their story and I do believe that allowing someone to tell their story in a safe environment without judgment is the first step of healing it's being heard um, but it's very hard especially if someone has almost had a, a similar journey to yourself not to jump in and um, say that so it, it's that listening and that body language i guess that yeah i hear you i got you yeah i know what you're talking about um would you agree it's quite it's it's like silent empathy isn't it it's just that nod that look <laughs> yeah definitely you know i know one thing that i do unconsciously when i'm absorbed in learning or listening is i do the whole dog head it goes <laughs> it goes to the sides um and that's just some for some reason my natural stance when I'm absorbed in something. But a quote that comes to mind, if I get this right, is people don't want to be known, they want to be understood. Yeah. It's something like that. Um, and I think it's so true. Uh, you know, we want to be heard, we want to be understood. Um, and the author in that book, and the book's um, called Fierce Conversations, one that I've mentioned on social media recently, um, they go on and the author goes on to say, you know, that she's worked with divorced couples who they still love each other, but they've never fully understood each other. Um, and obviously, as the title would suggest, the whole book is around the, the importance of fierce conversations, interrogating reality, uh, listening deeply. Um, and put in a nutshell, I guess, really showing up to the conversation and having the courage to have the conversation that needs to be had, not the one that kind of skirts around the edges of the raw topic that needs to be discussed. Um, and I think when we have those sorts of conversations, that's when transformation can occur very quickly. Because uh, another thing I battle with is this idea of, some people talk about healing and transformation can be instant. And at the same time, sometimes it's a very slow back burner. And what are the things that seem to impact this? Because both have happened. Some people transform like a, in an instant. There's just that eureka moment and suddenly they see things more clearly. And other times it's, it's an evolution. It's over a year, over two years. and both different people obviously there's a continual evolution that takes place but what is required for that real immediate shift um and i'm i'm sometimes concerned of my language in clinic because i don't know which one is like the the the, 
right one to do or whether I should just discuss both, you know, this idea that it could be a quick process, but maybe we want to be conservative and go with this idea that actually it's going to be a, a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and I just think there are things like these fierce conversations where we just fully show up. We have the courage to ask the questions that we really want to ask and we create the environment or the best environment we can to facilitate those conversations as well. Mm. Um, there is an amazing passage in the book that I'm almost tempted to try and find and read because um, the message is that there are things that we unconsciously choose to not know about ourselves. So the real deep stuff that really is where our attention should be placed and the, the raw, dirty stuff that we should be working on in regards to self-development and that will help us transform our lives is the exact same stuff that we've just boxed into a compartment and we, we almost probably aren't aware is there. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll summarize a little passage of the book because it, it just really resonated with me. And it was this idea that there's a couple... Um, they're newly married and the husband is basically taking his wife around the country while he tries to find his purpose kind of thing. So at one point he's a high school math teacher. He then goes and works on his parents' farm thinking that he'll take that over and be a farmer in Colorado. He then goes and does a PhD because he thinks actually he wants to be at um, university or college um, sort of a professor or lecturer. And she gets home one day, I think, and basically finds out that he hasn't been working for the last few months. And he's obviously embarrassed, ashamed, and they now have two kids. And he decides, I think I want to be a stay-at-home dad. I'll do the cooking and all the, the domestic side of things and look, get, pick up the kids, etc. And then one day, this woman, I think, was in church or was in some sort of kind of gathering and meeting. And the person, let's say holding the meeting said something about the importance of a traditional family life the idea of the the man is the guy who goes and earns the money and the mum stays at home etc and she stood up and obviously was quite angry was incredibly passionate and basically said no that is very out of date backward it shouldn't be like this i'm the one who goes off etc and she really stood up for herself and there was a round of applause afterwards and then afterwards, she's walking back to her car and a old friend runs up behind her, puts his hands on her shoulder and says something along the lines of, um, he says something along the lines of, <coughs> basically, what you've just said is complete nonsense. Um, and he gambled because it, whether it was intuitively or however he knew that what she was saying was not what she truly, genuinely meant, even though she felt that way. And I think, I'm not sure if it clicked then and there, but very quickly she realized that she wasn't at all happy and probably her husband wasn't at all happy doing what he was doing. And the author articulates it in a much better way that gives it more meaning. But it was this great example of deep down we have a knowing about what we want, what's right, what we need to be doing. Are we actually happy with what we say we're happy with, etc.? But it requires something for us to have the courage to go there, acknowledge it, and then act accordingly. Um, 
And it just really struck me quite deeply because I think looking back at decisions I've made over my life, sometimes there's just a huge lag and there's no need to it because on the other side of that decision is, is always, uh, for want of a better term, imp improvement. You know, there's a reason why this thing had been nagging me for weeks, if not months. And it took me that long to be like, okay, let's now do it. Um, whether that's intuition that I've been rejecting for a period of time because to make that decision would have been challenging or I was worried I was going to upset someone, whatever it may be. Um, it just that kind of that narrative, that passage of the couple really was like, wow, I think that's so true. We do know these truths about ourselves, but we've just pushed them away um, for various reasons, probably. But it's having the courage, it's creating the space in our lives, it's creating enough um, stability in our life to be able to go there. And again, maybe that's where psychedelics are kind of notorious for bringing that stuff up, ultimately. Yeah. Sorry, a David Bowie moment just came in, Glastonbury 2000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness, yeah, there's so much, and that's a really uh, profound story. And, and sometimes I, I get, or not get, but recommend clients write a truth statement, like whether they feel comfortable to share it or not. But I, I think sometimes just being true and honest with yourself a lot of what we're ashamed of and hide from are behaviors we developed in response to some kind of past experience and trauma, some, something that's happened that kind of pushed us into that state of survival. And when we're coming from a place of survival, our behavior is not, you know, it's not enlightened. It's more coming from a place of fear, isn't it? So I, I think to understand that, to unravel that, and to be honest about that. Away from shame and blame, it's very easy to say away from shame and blame, but with some self-compassion. Um, I think meeting Dan and having Bonnie were two hugely, obviously, significant um, transitions in my life, but what enabled me to be feel that I could be my true self. And what you were saying when you talked about that story, that that inner self for me it's that inner child it's it's my essence and seeing life through the eyes of love like um you know i dan and my relationship obviously bonnie you see eyes through the um life through the eyes of love so we're seeing each other's essence who we truly are underneath the layers of all the, the onion you know we delay the onion get down to the truth and it's still hard, even though we have that loving, close relationship, to speak your truth. Like I was speaking to Dan the other day, just yesterday actually, and I just felt like, I felt strange. I couldn't really um, articulate it very well, but I guess unsafe. I was growing my business. I'm doing so many things that are pushing me out of my comfort zone, pushing me into the unknown. And you question yourself and I'll have deep conversations with myself. Like, is this my passion? Is this my calling? Should I put, be putting my energy somewhere else? And, you know, this is kind of all going on. And um, you talked a little bit about fixer identity and wanting to help people. And sounds amazing, but he did automatically want to fix that situation. 
um, and try and kind of give me some feedback and stuff. And I just like, in that moment, all I want you to do is just love me and big up me and say that I'm doing amazing. And he's like, right, okay, write that down as a script and I'll have it. Because I think it's true, isn't it? Like we do attach our identities to certain things, whether that is fixer or helper, but it's really what is going on underneath. And sometimes just allowing someone to be themselves in your presence and being there with them. I was listening to an Elizabeth Gilbert podcast um, before we we were having our chat. And she was saying that when people or when she was in her really deep, dark state of trauma or grieving, um, she phoned a friend and her friend was like, "Uh, what I think you should do, and she's like, stop right there. (laughs) I don't need coaching in this moment. And she explains that what people need in that moment is like a mother, not a physical mother, but more the um, mythical kind of mother figure just to hold you and say, I love you, you're fine, you're okay, you've got this, it'll be okay, it doesn't matter what you've done, you're still loved. And she said, this is how we need to learn to talk to ourselves, to be our own internal mother of accepting, not judging, things are okay. Just tell me exactly what's going on, it's okay, you're safe. And then she says, later on comes this, mythical father figure internal so and she said at that point once you've done the kind of nurturing the holding you're okay creating safe space then the father can say okay so what we're going to do about it how are we going to be brave how are we going to pick ourselves up and how are we going to come up with a plan to move out of this kind of shitstorm or whatever it is (laughs) and i love that because as coaches and and you're talking about the transformational coaching that you're doing i'm the same it's very easy to feel like we want to fix and help. And we have got a wealth of knowledge, functional medicine. We've got all the tools. We've got testing. We know about this. We know about that. But sometimes it's just allowing that person just to be. And I think that the Nancy Klein, was she saying about holding, um, not saying anything for three seconds or, or something like that so that person can fully finish what they're saying, but it's in those last bits of the conversation that, the kind of truth comes out or something comes out. And I've heard that a lot from my days of working in um, support um, with families. So, yeah, I just just wanted to add that bit, really, because similar to you, I can have conversations with people or consultations where we don't even touch on food. We don't really get there because it's just creating that space for them to truly be themselves and they're not really looking for anyone to fix them. It's just to be. And while we're being, that's where the space is created for, I think, this energy or, you know, for us to connect, whatever it looks like with the greater, higher energy, the spirit, whatever we think that is, I think that's when, when that happens. Yeah, I think it does. I think... There was um, a paper I came across recently that was that basically looked at what were the requirements for people to change long term, like sustainable behavioral change. And one of the things was stability in life. Like, you know, they were just in a stable period of their life. Um, another one was that they had time to do a self appraisal. 
Um, and I, I do think that for a lot of us at kind of the population level, it's we're running around 24 seven with no time to reflect or do self appraisals. Um, for many life may not be that um, stable for various reasons, whether that's political, economic, uh, et cetera, behavioral health. Um, and it's something that I think should be the first part of every health program to, for a really broad term, this idea we need to cultivate our emotional well-being and we need to create and carve out whatever time we can even if it's five minutes on a saturday morning before the kids are up just we need to start somewhere where we have a space in our day ideally or week to reflect to figure out am i on the right path what's this week gone like what are my my goals my objectives etc we need we need time to be able to ensure that we're on the right place of the map and the journey and that the destination is the right one and all of these sorts of things. And there's a quote that I wrote down actually by Roland McCready, who's um, kind of associated with the Institute for Heart Math. And they're obviously uh, heart guys, as um, Gavin Andrews said. And the quote is, the most important strength that the majority of people need to build is the capacity to self-regulate their emotions, attitudes, and behaviors. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because we are emotional beings. We're driven, our behavior is driven through emotion, not logic, not um, rationale. You know, most of the time my clients logically understand many things that they need to be doing to improve their health and achieve the outcome that they've set and the reason why they've come to clinic. Mm. Um, but they're still struggling to actually achieve those things on a consistent basis. Mm. And as soon as we say, okay, well, if we are emotional beings, then we need to assess and discuss and explore what is going on in your emotional world. Because most goals, most things that we desire, most things we have and use, most habits, most rituals, we have because we want to change our current state. We want to, we want to go from sad to happy, for example. Um, and I think if we start to appreciate that happiness and peace are innately within us and are not dependent on external objects, which is obviously a lot easier said than done, then we're really in a great space, which you might call spirituality, you might call mindfulness, etc. Um, but in some ways, I guess mindfulness is the most overarching term. You know, it's non-judgmental, undistracted attention to the contents of our consciousness. Now, I know for sure that going through some throughout parts of my day, I'm pretty mindless. <laughs> yeah. I'm not aware of that content going through my consciousness. And when I am, I can be pretty critical about some of it as well. Yeah. Um, and it's a practice, it's a skill that we all should be developing through meditation and essentially through mindfulness practice, which obviously uh, there's informal and there's formal 
practice so we can do it informally while we're washing up the dishes we can do it informally during this conversation and then we can do the more formal mindfulness practice which might be something like the meditation where we're really sitting in a quiet dark environment and we're paying attention to our thoughts mm. um but unless we have that unless we're cultivating and creating that space to be able to do that I think it's really hard to, to certainly reach our potential. Um, so, yeah. I totally agree. Like, I'm just thinking about a spiritual kind of safety net. Like, in, in order to, to grow and feel, like, safe and okay and to do all of these things and go about our life, we need to feel safe. And it comes back to that stability. Um, stability, for me, yes, financial, like, environmental, house, also knowing that I've got someone that loves me no matter what that knows me inside and out that is on my team that is my cheerleader um, I think Brené Brown talks about having a piece of paper and writing some names on it and she said those people uh, those people's opinions matter and that's all that matters so it's about having a team and regardless of your situation whether you're in a relationship whether you're not whether you're on your own I think we can all create a team of cheerleaders because that's for me personally when I feel unsafe it's because I feel I'm not understood or I'm going through some kind of change transformation healing it all happens together um, and I feel a bit uneasy what you said about regulating I use that word more than resilience now because resilience for me, and I know it can mean different things to different people, was present in the, in the presence of trauma and stress. I had to become resilient. But what that meant was putting on a mask and armoring up and kind of being that person that, that kind of strong front um, that I guess I armored up, which was preventing me from growing into my empathic kind of gifts or my energy. So it stopped all of that happening, but it was very necessary at the time. But if we talk about regulation or regulating emotions, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because that's regulating our bodily functions and processes and regulating how we think and feel as well. And just self-inquiry and introspection, you know, if something triggers you, why is that? What, what could that be? Um, I think that's amazing. And what do you do to like, I know we're coming probably to the end, I could chat to you for ages, but what do you do to nurture your spirit? What do you do on a daily basis and what sort of things do you try and avoid? What can kind of cause interference to you being Alex in your truest kind of spirit and energy? Yeah, I, well, I don't feel that I'm even there yet in the sense that I think I have some well, uh, if it's a word, well-trodden pathways that I'm having to try and uh, rewire, retread, make new pathways. So, you know, yes, I meditate every day. I've started Tai Chi, which I just loved, I think. Um, again, it's that idea of creating space, you know, having that hour, like, I write, I'm here for an hour, I'm gonna be focusing on my breath and I'm gonna be really focused on specific movements. Um, and I'm going to try and tap into to energy and things like this. And it was just a really 
comforting, rewarding sort of experience with a very experienced teacher as well. And obviously that's a key part to all of these different things. So those are things that um, are important to me to help cultivate uh, the best version of myself, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, strength training is another really big one for me. I, I might be biased because of my background in fitness, but I, I don't think I am. I think it's just given me an opportunity to, mm-hmm. to appreciate the role that physical strength plays in our holistic health or systemic health. Like when I feel strong and when I've achieved a new PB, whatever it may be, there is no doubt a ripple effect into other areas of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I view strength training as a very simple way to challenge myself and to feel like I'm growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it does, it has an impact on my work. It has an impact on how I behave. Uh, I feel more authentic and like the better version of myself, which then has an impact on how I support my clients. So strength training is a really big one. And, and that is something that I, I wax and wane with. So that's a challenge that I still have, which is I can be really consistent for four months, for, exa- for example, and I can get to a new PB. And then often it will be something happens. Either I've gone away for a week or um, something prevents me from continuing with that routine. And then suddenly before I know it, a month's gone and I've been in the gym once. Um, I still walk every day and I do yoga and things like this. So there's other elements to my physical well-being. But I definitely wax and wane with my strength training. Um, But that for me is definitely something that I know should be, needs to be, is often a, a core component of who I am and the best version of me. Um, reading is another fundamental one. I love reading, primarily books in the, let's call it self-development section, uh, whether it's around spirituality, behavior, behavioral change, um, I don't read much on nutrition. Uh, I kind of go more to PubMed and to conferences or webinars for that kind of stuff. Um, and then I think, you know, probably like you, Annie, I'm just, I'm, I'm fortunate that I do what I do. Mm-hmm. So in regards to spirituality and a part of, of that being, having meaning and a purpose in life, well, I'm fortunate that I kind of fell into it when I was about 16. I think I was 15 or 16 when I knew I was going into personal training. Like I, I literally knew this was what I was going to do. I was looking at jobs, etc. Um, and it kind of evolved from there, but I was just very fortunate that I had a passion and a purpose from a very young age um, and that it worked out as well, ultimately. Um, so my job is, is a fundamental part of that. And that's something that has been positive and negative. Um, you know, I was single pretty much all of my 20s. Um, every penny I earned went on conferences, etc. Um, and I developed some habits and routines that weren't necessarily conducive to being then in a relationship. I lived on my own for four years, I think, as well, mm-hmm. being self-employed, largely working from home. So I was this very independence and to some point you 
maybe could argue dysfunctionally independent, as Robert Holden calls it, um, person. Um, but then you realize that there's more to life and that there are people who will still support you in your quest. Um, but you need that space. And again, this is something that I still have to work on. You need that space for your relationships, whether it's your intimate relationship, whether it's your family relationships, or whether it's your kind of friends um, and creating space, because we know that that is, again, one of the most fundamental components of health. Uh, and again, I look at some of my um, kind of longer term clients and often they're either single or they don't have a strong network that they're um they're with they're within as it were um so again you go back to this idea of it can be challenging because when you're unwell if you've got the whole sickness behavior going on when you've got inflammation and that that evolutionary primal response is to go back into your cave on your own it's hard to then say oh but you need a strong network and you need to get out there and mm -hmm. socialize with your friends so again it's understanding that a, as a practitioner, we need to understand that there might be some biological, physiological reasons why someone's hiding away from life and they just want to lie on the couch on a sunny day in dark. Uh, you know, there is literally something hardwired into us to do that. And it's also making sure the client knows that because I've had so many clients who feel shame and guilt for not wanting to do things I have one client who, for, I'm not quite sure, he has come into my mind though, he used to love playing golf and now he never plays golf. He just has, doesn't have the motivation, desire to do it. Um, and as soon as he understood that there is this sickness behavior element to uh, various conditions, especially when we talk about things like leaky gut and LPS and the inflammation that comes from it, there's almost like a release because there's now an understanding of, oh, I'm not just lazy or, you know, I, I'm not just X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is part of my, my health and what's going on at this point in time. And over time, that will improve. You know, I've been <clears throat> not as bad as many people, but I've definitely experienced a degree of burnout more than once. Mm. Um, and then we can go back to the, you know, the achiever and the, the helper uh, yeah. and all, all that stuff. But um, a symptom for me, like my main symptom that I know that I need to have a long weekend off or I just need to stop the continual uh, drive, almost need to achieve something in my day is when I start to lose interest in things that I love. Yeah. And that could be something as basic as going to the cinema. Yeah. Um, or going and playing golf with the guys um, or going out to eat with my wife Katie you know if I if I'm starting to lose interest in and if I'm starting to lose joy in things that usually bring me joy then that for me is my little barometer of yeah okay it's time to book a holiday or it's time to have a long weekend it's time to really consciously connect with my friends and Katie etc yeah. um, and I think so many of us are there you know we're so many of my clients have started to lose joy in things that used to bring them joy. And that is a, a warning sign that we need to back off um, and that we need to do some restorative work. We need to start the yoga class. We need to do a retreat. We need to book a long weekend, whatever it may be, take an Epsom salt bath, whatever, however basic or however extravagant it can be. 
then is the time to do it before it gets any further along the pathway of burnout ultimately. Um, knowing that you can recover if you catch these, or it's easier to recover when you catch them earlier. Um, and there's no reason to kind of fear it. Like this idea of, you know, purpose is a tool for resilience. Yeah. So I, I think of either colleagues or athletes, etc. people who are really fulfilling their purpose mm. and they're massively resilient. You know, it might catch up with them depending on how crazy they're going with their work. You know, you can think of the Margaret Thatchers and the Winston Churchills where it definitely caught up with them in their older age of getting four hours sleep and things like this. But um, you can definitely maximize your potential and your ability to keep going when what you're doing is a labor of love, ultimately. Um, And that really fascinates me, this idea that if you're loving what you do, it seems like you can just go for longer with the foot down on the gas pedal compared to doing something you dislike and you're it seems that you'll just burn out quicker and it kind of makes sense because we know our emotions influence our physiology um, and therefore if we're in a bit of a let's call it a negative emotional state because we're doing a job that we kind of despise but we're having to work hard because of deadlines and things compared to a job where we're getting out of bed going yes you know another day this is going to be great what's going to come up Uh, it would make sense that physiologically there's a different response because in some ways there's just a massively different experience that the body and mind are having. Yeah, and I I love that. Like, I love the idea of this compelling future and having this thing that pulls you forward. Like, you know, not necessarily goals, but something to aspire to, something to head towards. Um, I'm a big fan of the vision board and making it really visible, uh, visible and fun. And, And I think along the way, when you love something, you don't have to not like your job become burnt out or unwell sometimes we just do too much and we forget to take care of ourselves right right and and i have to remind myself i kind of have this spiritual safety net and then these boundaries that protect my energy and if i start to feel um tired or just kind of you know that unsafe kind of feeling i have to check back in with myself and um you know, what do I need right now? And sometimes it is actually going outside and going for a walk and nature it has a huge impact mm. on us, but um, me most definitely. Um, and what you were saying about the evolutional reasons for depression, yes, we are kind of isolated so that we don't give whatever disease we've got to the next person. So we're kind of isolated. So we go back in our cave in the caveman kind of terminology and we separate ourselves, isolate ourselves from the rest of the tribe so we don't pass it on. I actually read the same thing about loneliness, which changed my um, thought process on it because I like, I like my own, well, I like solitude. I like my own company as much as I can't stand being with myself sometimes. It's kind of like <laughs> we go between the two. Loneliness, I read, the author was called John. <laughs> But I I don't know his surname. But he was saying that loneliness from an evolutional perspective is to encourage introspection. So that actually we turn inward and we journey inward and we look at ourselves and we listen to ourselves and our body and what's 
what are the signals we're being given? What are the signs? What are we, what do we need to do? What's going on here? And I love that. I love that because not everyone has this huge network of support. Not, we don't, I don't think tribes were ever massively big and everyone's no, network no. looks different for them, depending on who they are, their circumstances, everything. You don't need loads of people. You just need the right people. And you know what? Some of those people might just be the people that make you laugh. They're not necessarily into health and, and the same stuff, but they know how to have a good laugh. And, and I think that's really um, important too. So yeah, that just got me thinking exactly the same, that we have to protect ourselves. I remember going to see Florence in the Machine last year and um, it came to the day to go and see her and I was so tired. Like I just hadn't been sleeping with Bonnie and, and everything and I didn't really want to go. And I understood at that point it was my energy, like physical energy I had because I love music. And I did go and it raised my mm. vibration massively and it is medicine. But that sort of thing, like the things that you love, if we stop doing those, we neglect them or we don't feel like doing them. I think that's when we start, we need to retune into the body. What's going on from a physiological level? Because it could be something we just can't see, we don't quite understand, but there's a reason for it. So, yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> Go. Definitely. <laughs> Are you counting? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think on the whole kind of... Um, you know, the burnout thing and the physiological thing, it does go deeper because there is a, there's a deeper issue at play in that sort of situation. And I think a question that, that really resonated with me that was asked during my life coaching diploma was, uh, what is the emotional needs being fulfilled by that behavior? And that is the question to ask. So if someone is burnt out, yeah, you can go and do some testing and stuff and it will be helpful in, in some ways. But unless you're addressing the root cause of the behavior that is probably the thing that has led to the burnout, it just doesn't matter. And then you are always going to go back to emotional well-being and the identity we have of ourselves, I think. Um, what is the emotional needs being fulfilled? Well, it's going to be something like self-worth. Um, I feel worthy when I'm achieving. I feel worthy when I'm helping this person. Um, and as long as we're living in that paradigm, we're always risking burnout, disease, poor health, and ironically then unhappiness um, because it's not going to be sustainable. So we, it often, I think, it really does, I think, go back to these fundamental things around what is our relationship with ourselves and with the world around us? And that is formed often in the first seven, eight years of life. So is there any trauma there that could be influencing it? Um, is there trauma later on? Because it doesn't have to be the first seven, eight years. Or what is the behaviors that you learned? So it doesn't have to be trauma. It could be what, is, what did you witness from your mum, from your dad, from your teachers, from your siblings? Were they helpers? And actually, they're just a transgenerational helper. Uh, identity as it were um, and there are going to be so many times when we're just not able to go there yet mm. and we might sense that as the practitioner that I cannot 
go there yet they're not ready that might be an intuitive feeling that you have that i guess could be wrong or right we might not be there to go there ourselves but at some point along our health journey we'll i think we'll just get to the space when we are ready and i think sometimes and i've had it with i'm sure a handful of clients at least where I've kind of been aware of this sort of situation whereby I feel there's this thing that I don't feel we're able to fully address. Maybe I didn't have the, the resources, the skills at, at the time as the practitioner to sort of facilitate and initiate the conversation. Other times I'm like, I just think I need to hold the space. I think I need to follow through with what this individual wants to do whatever that may be, the exercise, the functional medicine stuff, et cetera, hold the space until they're ready. And that might be six months. It could be 18 months down the road, but there's no point forcing something that someone's just not ready to explore yet. Um, and I just really feel that that's my purpose moving forward in some ways is growing and exploring my own stuff as well as growing the skill set required so i can as much as possible help people deal with the stuff that we all need to be dealing with that we might not at this point in time have the resources skill set ability trust stability to do but we need people who are willing to go there either themselves or as the practitioner. And I think to be that practitioner, you obviously have to have done it yourself. And that's when we need to really, to some degree, and we don't need to be perfect, but we need to practice at least a good chunk of what we preach. Um, and I just find it interesting because that's, when the, that's where the conversation always goes. Uh, we're emotional beings driven by emotion. The behavior is really a manifestation of the emotion we want. And that's going to come back to that. And then we need to start having these conversations more. That's so powerful. Yeah, I love that. Be the change. That's the best thing we can do. Everyone's journey is their own. And if you're living your life, your truth, your change, and you're being it, then that radiates outwards. I truly believe it doesn't need lots of words all the time. It's just being it, doing it. You know, people will never forget how you made them feel. I think that's the Maya Angelou quote, um, more than what we say. So, mm. oh, I love that. I feel um, <laughs> enlightened. I could just chat. I love chatting about this stuff. I'm more of a deep conversation person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is... No, I was just, I was just going to agree. You know, I'm for better or worse. I'm not interested in the, how are you? I'm fine. I just, you know, let's just get down to it quickly and, and learn and grow and do the meaningful stuff. Yeah. Much more fun. Yeah, definitely. Oh, thank you. Is there anything else that you, or anything, sorry, that you want to leave us with or end up? You've said some amazing, powerful stuff. And uh, so I guess, there's not necessarily anything new. I would, I would just recommend that if there's anyone listening who's not yet doing it, to carve out time in their day or week to start reflecting and exploring 
And ideally reading and listening. Um, I honestly feel that one of the easiest ways to shift behavior is just to surround yourself with content that is helping you. So that could be podcasts, it could be reading, it could be watching Tony Robbins' I'm Not Your Guru or Brené Brown on Netflix. You know, all these things that are influencing you, whether you realize it or not. But obviously, it's pretty hard not to realize when you're watching something as powerful as, as those two on stage. So I think that can be powerful in its own right. And I've seen that in my personal life with Katie, who went through a real period of behavioral change and improvement, which really did just coincide with really for, I guess, the first time in her life, kind of being consistently exposed to that kind of content. Um, and it was just really interesting because after a while, I was like, you realize that whole kind of journey started at the same time X, Y, and Z happened when you watch Tony Robbins and you listen to Brenny Brown, etc. cetera. Um, it was like, huh, that's interesting. So I think exposure is really important. And that goes back to what you said, Annie, around our relationships, who are we hanging out with? And that can have a, such a profound impact on how we're going to behave, how we're going to grow and evolve as a person as well. So if nothing else, we need to ensure we've got healthy boundaries there. Um, and then this idea of behavior being emotionally driven. So maybe I'll finish with a note that I've made that I haven't yet mentioned. So I guess in summary, there was the spirituality side of things, which was the personal search for meaning and purpose in life, connectedness with yourself, with others, with nature, inner strength and peace and belief and faith and things like relationships and goals. There is the emotional side of things and the idea that we should be self-cultivating positive emotional states, gratitude, appreciation, joy, love. Uh, that is something we need to consciously be cultivating on a daily basis. We need to self-regulate our emotional state because our emotional state is what's driving our behavior. Um, we touched on mindfulness and the idea of that could almost be a global mechanism for change ultimately and it's non-judgmental it's very conscious it's undistracted awareness to our content that's coming up in our mind or consciousness so it's being objective to that information viewing it as kind of the bystander and not doing anything with it just letting it be um, i think that can be really powerful again in its own right and then we do have the guy who's not my guru, Tony Robbins, who talks about the six human needs. So he talks about certainty, uncertainty or variety, uh, significance, connection and love, growth and contribution. So if in his eyes, these are six fundamental needs that we all need to self-actualize, for growth, for, to be our greatest version of ourselves. Um, so again, sometimes I might have that conversation with clients. It might be like, okay, well, which of these do you feel you are lacking in the most at this point in time? Do you have much certainty in your life? And that goes back to that paper saying that, or showing that stability in life is important for behavioral change to be able to occur. So you could connect that with certainty to some degree. Having said that, we need a degree of uncertainty and variety. And that really hit home for me last week when I was reading, I forget the book now, but basically the point was, you've got to get out your routine and your environment from time to time. And I really got to a point of, 
I don't know what the right word is. Let's say stagnation or just a lack of a lack of passion to some degree. And it wasn't until I read that that I was like, huh, it's because I'm just working in my home office day after day and I need to mix it up a bit more. So variety is important. Significance. You know, do we feel significance? And there are so many ways that we can feel that. That could be in family life. That could be in our relationship. That could be in our work, uh, et cetera. There's loads of ways that we can reflect on whether we feel significant. Connection and love is obviously a no-brainer. Do we feel it? Do we have it? Are we nurturing it? Uh, growth and contribution. We need to contribute back to the universe, society in some shape or form. And again, that can be in an infinite number of ways that just needs meaning for that individual. It doesn't need to be dealing with world hunger. It can be something that is important for that individual. And again, all of these things probably evolve with time. Um, there's one thing that just came to my mind, which was autonomy. So Daniel Pink in his book Drive talks about autonomy being really important. And I guess that can fall under significance and contribution to some degree. It's this idea of, do you feel you have autonomy over something in your life it doesn't it might not be work especially if you're not self-employed uh, but do you have something that you have autonomy over um, and certainly in work life it can be really important I think it goes back to that idea of in Apple a good chunk of their products and projects and ideas come from 20% of the employee's time when they're open up to do whatever they want to do with their work so every Friday, whatever it may be, they, they have an opportunity to work on something that they're fully passionate about, that they have complete autonomy with. Um, and as a result, I imagine there's more flow states. And as a result, there are better ideas and better gadgets and all these sorts of things. So, and they all interconnect. So I guess to, to sum up, we don't need to get bogged down in one of these. So spirituality, emotional well-being, mindfulness, all interconnects and interestingly i recently did a blog post on wisdom because i'm i always want to be wise i want to be 90 and wise <laughs> and um interestingly some of the research talks about humor being an element of wisdom which i love um, and i think you know intuitively just makes a real lot of sense but wisdom is knowledge of life and decision making it's emotional regulation. It's pro-social behaviors like compassion and empathy. It's insight and reflection. It's acceptance of different value systems. And it's decisiveness, which kind of covers most of the big topics we've mentioned. So in fact, we've probably just been talking about wisdom for the last hour and a half. <laughs> which is great. It's all relevant and i love that that's beautiful yeah Anything? so yeah i think i think that's it i mean it's i guess the final thing that um we could conclude with annie maybe just around this idea of what's the first small step um you know as you mentioned earlier we're all on our own journey we're at different points 
and it's appreciating that and it's not trying to jump to chapter of our of our novel which is our life and it's just appreciating where we are and saying okay well this has really struck a chord or something within our conversation resonated what can i go and do well you can go and explore the topic a bit more go onto amazon and search go onto google and search what's the first step that you can take that you feel is realistic and sustainable and just start that journey ultimately. Um, and that's where I think life coaches and or mentors can be so helpful. So obviously the life coach is someone who doesn't need to be in front of you in the journey. They could even be potential, well, in some ways they could probably be behind you, so to speak, because a life coach is helping you get to your, to get to your B from your A. And therefore they don't need to know everything they are literally facilitating that inner knowledge and the answers that are already within you. Mm -hmm. So in fierce conversations, there was, this, uh, there was a saying that I mentioned to my client this morning, which was, if the answers aren't in the room, we have the wrong people. And they were talking about it from like a business meeting, corporate mm -hmm. perspective. But the same is very true in a one-to-one -one conversation with the coach. The answers are in the room. The answers are in the coachee. And mm -hmm. the coach's responsibility is to help facilitate and help the coachee find the answers that are already within them. And that is one of the premises of kind of personalized coaching ultimately. Um, whereas a mentor obviously is someone who is ahead of you on the journey and mm. you are looking to extract wisdom and experience and understanding from them. And I think both have a huge role to play within self-growth. Uh, why would you not want a mentor who is ahead of you and where you want to be and you can extract information from them like a coach would extract information from the coachee. Mm. So I'm a big believer we should both, or we should all have one of those two things yeah. um, because again, it can just, it can help act as a catalyst. Um, we don't have to be in this alone. Um, and I think, going back to the importance of connection, whether that's from Tony Robbins reading or from the research out there on loneliness and the importance of relationships and stuff, then it makes sense again, hang out with people that are going to help you become the person that you can be. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I love these conversations. I love our industry because generally it's full of people who all have similar views and, that's why we love going to the conferences. It's not so much the content anymore. It's the energy that you get from being among a hundred or a thousand people who are like-minded. Yeah. It's like the matrix. We all decided to take the red pill and see how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> it's like a party at the bottom of that hole. Um, right. That was awesome. Thank you so much. I'm going to go and back to this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like soak up the wisdom bathe in it <laughs> oh, it's been fun yeah it has cool well, thank uh, you we'll so to... much no my pleasure anytime yeah. um so yeah we'll we'll have to do it again sometime yeah come back maybe, after maybe... the psychedelics please yeah i will uh, <laughs> we can exchange <laughs> awesome okay <laughs> Thank you so much. That was really, really cool. I appreciate that. No, thanks, Annie. I hope, uh, I hope your listeners enjoy it. Yeah, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Wow. So thank you everyone for listening. That was awesome. If you would like to find out more or get in contact with Alex, I have put the link to his website in the show notes as well as to his social media platforms. And I'll also um, put the names and authors of those books that he mentioned in there too. If you enjoyed the show, please let me know. It's always great to hear from you. Or if you're feeling super inspired, please leave me a review. I have a community for mums on Facebook. It's called the Be You Mum Community. This is a closed group where you can come and connect with other mums and find inspiration, information and get empowered to reconnect with you so you can grow into your best self. It truly is all about growth. So please do come along and join to continue the conversation, spread the love and share your magic. This Friday, I'll be holding some live training in this community on gut health in relation to healthy weight management. So don't worry if you're listening to this at a later date, still come and join and you can catch all the live trainings that I do um, back on replay. So thank you again. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Be You Mum podcast. Have a great week, everyone.